Good morning. Good morning. Wow, I just opened my, my little envelope here that I hit where it was going to have my Dharma talk notes in. And I seem to have forgotten to put my notes in there, except for one card <laughs> with like one line on it. And it's great. Because <laughs> all it says is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so, and then, then it's got a little arrow and it says, why is this? <sighs> so, um, we just chanted the four measurable vows. Oh, no, we didn't. We're going to do that later. But we just chanted some vows, the beginning, the opening chant. Um, how does it feel to chant it? It feels really good? Yeah, some people are nodding. Does anybody, what, how did it feel the first time you chanted it? Yeah. <laughs> it felt pretty good? Strange. It felt strange. Sorry, Sherry? I think it sounded special because it said I vowed to taste the truth. And you don't even think of like mm. taste and learning something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyone have like a like was anyone felt like put off by the, by chanting it the first time you ever chanted it? I remember feeling wary. Yeah. Like, um, I guess I'll do this now. But <laughs> 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 I'd really rather not. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's chanting in many religions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a way for people to feel things right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it does that. It has that effect once you get over the initial, like, Ugh, what is this? I don't know about this. Remember my first Bodhisattva full moon precept ceremony where we chant the Bodhisattva vows? I was really wary. I was like, I don't know if I want to say this. Well, <laughs> do I really mean it? I don't know. You know, and it's like, yeah. And I notice sometimes people will, oftentimes they, you know, their words are very meaningful to them. And so they, they want to be very careful what comes out. I, I tend to not be as careful. So I put my foot in my mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. So I apologize for the numerous times that I'll probably do that today. Um, especially since I don't, have a, I don't have a roadmap, which is good, actually. I did want to talk about intentions because, um, because it's January. People oftentimes use the turning of the year to be a time of reflection and also looking forward, right? Assessing the past year and looking forward to the new year. And yeah, the other night I was out with Koji. No, 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 I was out. No, I, I can't remember. Somebody said something like, oh, Happy New Year. And they said, Is it too late to say Happy New Year? Yeah, I was like, and then, yeah, and then, and then it was like, well, no, actually, it's, you know, it could be May, and it's New Year in Burma, you know, it could be New Year anywhere, so you can say Happy New Year anytime, even if it's not, you know, you're not in Burma, you're in, you know, the United States, it's always nice to wish people a happy year, right? So, uh, anyway, this year, uh, one of the first thing, the first public event that we had beyond, uh, the public program on Saturday uh, was a workshop on intentions. 
in particular intentions as like are they the same as making a if you have an intention is it the same as a resolution to make a new year's resolution how many people have made new year's resolutions no. sure how many has ever made a new year's <laughs> how many people have sworn off new year's resolutions now <laughs> now why is that so Anyway, so this intention workshop was, I thought was, um, I had fun with it. And in particular because what my uh, closest friend, longtime friend from, you know, I don't know, how many years, 25 something years, um, who's also a Dharma teacher, came out and we co-led the workshop together. And so before the workshop, of course, we got to sit around and talk, which we don't get to do now that we're both living in different places. Um, we used to both live in California. And uh, so we had a great time getting together and talking about our own understanding and practice around intention and kind of digging deeper into like, well, because she comes from the Theravadan, like early Buddhist perspective, and she's just finished a master's program in Buddhist studies. And so I get to, you know, I, and I've kind of moved away from academic Buddhism, having been interested in it academically to start with. And so we just, you know, we get in there and like kind of tear things apart and put them back together. And it's great fun. And then last week we did a conversation cafe on the topic of karma and intention. And uh, how many people were here for that? I see a couple of people. Yeah, we had, I think we had a good conversation. And it brought up a lot of you know, again, it's like it brought up things that we don't normally look at or we don't normally, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives, we don't think so much about intentions, maybe, right? We just, we know how to be in our life and we just do it, right? We just do our life. Yeah. And sometimes we pause and say, what was my intention there? Or we might look forward and say, I want to set an intention, right? Usually it's something about like assessing intentions from before or looking forward and, and setting an intention for the future, right? Well, I think this is part of the problem. Oftentimes when working with intentions is that a lot of it, working with intentions is about being available and aware and open to what my intention is right now without having a fixed view or a preconceived notion of my intention should be this or I'm a bad person because I'm not fulfilling my intention. Like, get rid of all of that and just look inside and say, where am I, what are my impulses? Where am I coming from? Where does this action come from? And give yourself a lot of space, right, to not have an opinion, but let one naturally arise from just shining your light of awareness on it. Okay. So anyway, that's, that's kind of where I'm going. I kind of got there. But um, I wanted to go back to this... Uh, this question, because this came up at the conversation cafe, we started with somebody saying, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, and we all know what that means, right? We all know not just what it means linguistically, right? We know what it means in our bodies. Like we have a sense of how that might be true, right? So what is it? What is it? And what comes up when you even hear the word intention? Like what, that's, that's a very vague word, right? In some sense, it's like kind of a catch-all for lots of different things, yeah? So let me start with this question. 
what does the word, just the word intention, does it bring up? What does it mean to you personally? Pressure. Ha! <laughs> Pressure, all right. I have a connotation of wishful thinking, actually. Wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. What commitment to me, committing to some, something in the future? Commitment. Yeah. That came up at the cafe, too. Conscious commitment. Conscious. Okay, so she's bringing in consciousness. Yeah. Thank you. For me. For me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An exertion of will. Ooh. Getting into dangerous territory with that word. Willingness <laughs> <laughs> to, to give up. Um, to give up, like, a, a desire. Like, maybe there's, like, a strong desire to, like, act out or, or something, or, or, or to be pulled along in one direction or another, and, and willingness to say, like, that's not the right direction. Okay, so willingness to change direction. Yeah. Because I think that you could say that intention, like your deepest intention, could be a desire as well. So it's not like you want to just say, okay, desire is no. Yeah. So like, how do we work with it? Koji. I think of something like really hidden. Intention as being something hidden. Yeah, like when someone says intention, it's like, don't even make me. (laughs) Try to like like look at what's going on here, because then I'm not going to even get to do what I want. Yeah, Yeah, wow. It's like this burdensome (laughs) seeking. (laughs) 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 Wow. Uh, Ernest. Well, I've often wondered if people actually have bad intentions. I mean, do they actually think I'm going to have a bad intention now and go out and do something bad consciously, or do they justify it in some way, even if it has a bad result? Mm, mm. Yeah. You know, in the conversation cafe, the other another thing that was brought up, which I thought was just so I mean, I've heard it before and I had forgotten it, but this idea that we tend to judge other people by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Right? Because we don't know what other people's intention. intentions yeah, are. We can see their actions, see but we, we feel deeply our intention, right? Because it's like, you know, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to, you know, I'm sorry, but I was acting with good intentions. Yeah. Wow. So I think a couple of things. <clears throat> I think the, um, the word intention in, in, in the Buddhist world has a lot of baggage associated with it. Oh. <laughs> There's no baggage in well, It's a word I've heard thrown around for a long time. Yes, and and yes. so I think there's been a lot of stuff that people hang on to it. And then, and then when you say about the, the road to hell, I think that maybe the road to hell is paved with um, intentions, with, with mixed motives or intentions that are multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we say our intention is this, but it's not really... You know, maybe we, maybe we have ulterior motives, you know, so, so we have an intention that looks good on the surface, but maybe we have an ulterior motive that's yeah. coming from the small self. Yeah. yeah. David? Yeah, just playing off of Koji's hit, the words kept bouncing around in my head a little, and the intention seems like, and using the, the word baggage, it seems like 
I'm taking the baggage, putting it aside and carrying more baggage. It's sort of I'm choosing my new baggage. <laughs> and uh, intent, intentions, if it's changing habits, sort of changing the way I want my habits to be, which is sort of a way of saying I'm not being aware. I'm going I'm to mm. go with autopilot and have these new habits, which is just a new set of baggage. Mm. Could be, yeah. Depending on the awareness, right? Joel? Yeah, I was just going to say in terms of the, the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It, it always seems to me like there's a certain amount of tunnel vision involved in that, right? It's like there might be good intentions, right? But if there's a gap between what's possible, right, or what other people are doing, or, you know, just kind of the facts of the matter, right, then there's a certain sort of naivety, right, or, or you know, maybe an innocence, right? So it's a good intention, and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. oh, right? Yeah. But, but there's something about... It, it goes to hell because there's more blinders in terms of how that's going to be effective yeah. or it doesn't account for things that you might not even know about or understand about right. other people right. or about life. Right. Yeah, so again, this awareness question, like when you say blinders, I think shutting out awareness of circumstances or conditions. Yeah. It just brings to mind for me... Um, a year is a long time when we make a New Year's resolution, let's say. It just seems like when I'm trying to clean house, I need to focus at one area at a time where I get really confused. Mm -hmm. Lenten season, for me, is a time for setting an intention. A giving up for some people, for me, it's more like an intention. So mm -hmm. it's a shorter duration of time. And 40 days, right? Yes. And um, I often hear people say, oh yeah, I was giving this up for London and I didn't succeed. And I think the, it's the disappointment that we're not succeeding mm. in what we place in our mind. Um, I'm really good at succeeding in that area. And so I, I, I think that when we put a lot of negative on it, it carries a barrier, a heaviness, and a weight. Yeah. And if we shift our perception about it and make it more of a positive thing, like for me, the first intention, I see the in. Uh huh, uh huh. And then the tension. And oh. so it's interior tension. <clears throat> nice. Just a different way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. So, again, also what you're pointing at is how when we take on something like an intention, there's an immediate like judge component of like, did I fulfill it or not, right? Can I, can I say yes, I did, yes, I did this and, and pat myself on the back or do I have to like, you know, you know, beat myself up because I didn't, because the outcome wasn't what I said I was going to do, right? Which is a crucial part to assessing like when you, you know, in the retrospective of like, how did I do this past year? You know, looking back over the you know the year or something like that, or over the Lenten season, right? You can look back and be, and assess. But when that's the focus, or that's the primary, like you said, the in part is like the, you know, how did you get into this in the first place? <laughs> Where did this intention come from? Is the intention itself coming from a good intention? Right? How many times do we set intentions that are like? I'm a terrible person, I need to do this. Okay, this is my intention, yay. I feel better for this moment while I'm setting it. You know, like I'm going to do something to, you know, I'm going to, you know, live a more simple life. I'm going to take care of my, 
my uh, my health better. I'm going to drop some pounds or whatever people do, right? What's the intention behind that, right? What's where is it coming from? Yeah, Sherry. Um, I think it comes from core values, and we probably aren't real conscious of what we really value. Mm. And if we sit mm -hmm. and think yeah. about our values, our intentions can flow toward that and keep us on the path. Yeah, so again, like this intention could be, it's such a, it's a big word, intention. So what you're bringing up is something that's really big, right? A core value, right? There's core values that we might not be aware of, that we act from. And maybe, you know, we get together we, with some people and we have conversations like my friend Dawn. I have to say, if you don't have a spiritual friend out there that you can talk to about your practice, find one. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because oftentimes these things are, un you know, we're, we don't, if we don't have a, a place to have things come up and be discussed or talked about, a community or friends or teacher or some, something, then it's all kind of... You know, it just it just turns along like habit energy, like autopilot. You know, which you know, if you've got a you know a transformed consciousness and you're you know beaming light out and receiving <laughs> blessings and and that's where you're coming from, then you know maybe you don't need to be so aware that that's where you're coming from. I don't know, but for you know what ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us, you know, having some awareness about where are we coming from. What's important, right? What are those core values? So whether it's journaling or something to, to get in touch with, right? To actually carve out the space. I don't know about you, but when I'm doing stuff and like getting stuff done, you know that mode of like, I gotta get stuff done, right? I'm getting stuff done, look at me. I'm like, you know, and like checking things off the list and you know, yeah, good job, all right. It's like. What is it like these? These are like little dopamine spikes that you get from like completing tasks. I mean, you can get addicted to this. I mean, I I am. I think I'm totally addicted to like the feeling of like okay, done, on to the next thing, right? Now, but there's like stepping back from that and not getting anything done. Actually, like having the time and space, and it's a skill. It's a skill to be leisurely. Right? I mean, I find that if I have time, that's a space that's like free, I'm like, what can I do? Surely there's something I can clean in my space. <laughs> I can get that way. Yeah, Ernest. I'm, I'm still struggling with this idea of, idea of intention. So what you're, what you're asking people to do is to create, if you take on an intention, is to create tension. Um, kind of. I mean, you're talking about like creating a, t a tension between what you used to do and what you want to do. I don't know. That might be. Is that your experience with that? Um, not mine personally. Um, however, I can understand what you're saying because it is. It's a tension. So it's when we when we're we're asking something different of ourselves. It's going to naturally create attention. Yes, by that. Yeah. Uh, shoe. Three. Three. The intent to take action mm -hmm. is sort of the surface layer. That I intend to raise my hand. I intend to eat. I, that 
So our first layer is just the action, the one immediately below the action. The next below that is, I think, a desire for an outcome. I'm taking this action because I want to see that movie, or I want to, you know, have this dinner. I want somebody to do something that I want them to do. Right? There's a mm -hmm, mm -hmm. an outcome layer, and then below that is the desire. Right? So there may be more layers, but as the discussion played out, it seemed clear that we keep going deeper and deeper, but they're all intentions. Right? They're so all intentions. There's, yeah. There's clearly a, a simple surface layer of just immediately before the action. Right. Which, when we meditate, we're trying to sort of get in between, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. the layers below. Right, all the way down to what's the, the impulses, right? Desires, imp I mean, impulse. One of the lowest levels of intention. Not the lowest. The lowest is like you can't even really, yeah, it's like you can't even, unless you're in this incredibly calm state, the moment by moment little impulses that are happening, supposedly, I don't know how many, 50,000 in a snap of fingers. I can't remember what the number is. I'm terrible with numbers, but... Like a lot more than more than is conceivable, right? In terms of just these passing impulses, right? But when you see them, it's like how many of those do we actually act on? Mostly we don't, right? And then Rob's well, Rob's point that he brought up of like where if something is an intention coming. By the way, I took what you said, Rob. Please correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, coming out of like, like where there might be some other part of you, like something comes up, but then it's not the full you. Who, who is it that has this intention actually? To ask, ask that question, who has that intention? Who has that impulse? And in the study of the self, which is what we do here, right? We study what's the internally, what's happening? What's happening inside this thing that we call me? Right? All these things coming and going and coming and going. We collect the ones we like and say, "Oh, this is me." When we're asked, "Who are you?" Right? We collect things and we put a little, put them in a package. But really, we're that's it's so vast, right? And so to ask the question, "Who has that intention?" You may not have an. You may find that you don't have an answer, an easy answer, or you might find that you have an answer, and it's certainly not all of you. It's just a. It's just a slice, right? And so, what do you go forward with? Well, I, I keep I, this. It's fairly naive, but hope. Hope. Hope for. The future. So hopefulness, yeah, that's a feeling. That's a yeah, that's a feeling. A feeling that is cultivatable, right? Mm -hmm. And it is positive. And positive, yeah. yeah. Max, I'm just thinking about <clears throat> this idea of there being a small self and a big self or a universal self, and <clears throat> and I think that there are these, um, you know, if there's if there's a tension maybe between. The, um, the, these different kinds of impulses going in different directions. I think it's that we have this notion of ourselves as separate beings, um, which give rise to personal agendas. So, you know, I want something. I, I, I want to attain this. I want to um, have a feeling of gratification or a feeling of vindication or something like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. these things are, you know, the um, because they come from. Um, 
a perspective that's like uh, enclosed by definition that calls itself different from other perspectives. Yes. It's necessarily just going to sort of have like a bunch of arbitrary outcomes, and there might sometimes be you know good consequences to having acted in one way, and sometimes there will be negative consequences to having acted. But as long as you're acting on behalf of yourself and coming from that personal agenda. Um, there's not like a larger principle, or as Sherry said, like core values guiding it. And I think that the core values have to do with um, a more universal stance where mm -hmm. you say, you know, I'm not in this solely on behalf of myself, but there's a community or there's a species or whatever you want to say mm -hmm. that I want to, you know, make um, the best, you know, contribution that I can make too. And, and that, um, involves, you know, um, seeing the personal agenda, that, that kind of personal motivation, and letting it go some of the time, you know, so that, it, and, and I guess mm -hmm. the point, I, the point really is that for me, I find that like when acting from um, an individualistic agenda, um, there's often, you know, a sense of like tightness in the stomach, or like a kind of like sense of being closed inside as though like you know internally because that's like, what you've done that's where you're something. coming from yeah yeah and 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 so even though there it's very very hard to let go of that in um that individualistic um drive to to the action the it the, the very drive is still still sort of telling you internally that you're going against this like deeper mm -hmm. underlying desire to do something for um, everybody maybe, and not solely for yourself. Yeah, so what I take from that, thank you, in terms of, in Buddhist terms of self and other, that if you come from a perspective of a small self, like your own personal ego, that, that, that place, if you go a little bit deeper and say, where does that come from? It comes, I think, from a feeling of protectiveness, right? Of wanting to delineate yourself from other people because they're scary. Right? They're unknown what they do and there can be this fear, right? Or this feeling of like, well, it's it's defining oneself in opposition to something, right? So there's these delineations that are made from a small self perspective. And so that generates a feeling of tightness, right? And a feeling of like holding back, right? Just naturally. And so that even uh, I want to get to this place where I can talk about intentions as um, looking at the finest layer of like the moment before, like what she was saying, the moment before you do something, right? Where is it coming from? What are you feeding, if anything? Knowingly or unknowingly, and actually most of the time unknowingly, what are you feeding? And so it requires taking a step back and being aware, right? And we came to that at our conversation that we had the uh, last uh, Wednesday. We came to this, the, the, how important just basic awareness is. And again, it's not, you know, mindfulness, <clears throat> there's a lot of, uh, lot of uh, talk about mindfulness in the media and in corporations, and it's kind of becoming a, has become this, a buzzword, right? And it's great that, that people are looking at this, that it's becoming popularized, right? That people are actually like, oh, maybe I can take five minutes out of my busy day and wash my breath, 
right, and become more aware of my body. Right? And mindfulness is one of the cornerstones in Buddhism. It's not, the, it's not all of it. There's a lot more in Buddhism. And actually, come to the Koji's class next week, and uh, we'll learn a lot more about the, uh, the various practices that are very important in, in Buddhism. But mindfulness is one core, central one. But if it's mindfulness just for the sake of like being more productive or liking your food better because it tastes better because now you're paying attention to it, or you know, if if it's if it's all within service of your small self, it's not going to be transformative. And actually, we're interested in transformation, right? It's like you have a, you know, you plant something in the, in the ground and you water it and you give it sunlight and you protect it when it gets to be, what, 16 degrees or something like that, right? You protect it and, um, and, then, it, and then it starts to come out of the ground. It starts to grow and eventually it starts to have leaves and it starts to flower, bear fruit, right? The tending of a garden is kind of like it's, that's, what we, that's what our practice is, in a, lar- in a large sense. It's being open to what is, and then some tending as well. There's some garden tending with our own mind, tending of our own heart. Right? And in the same way, when we, if we think, oh, I need to know, I need to figure out my intentions, it's like, where is that, that impulse? Even before it becomes stated as an intention or a commitment or a vow or an aspiration, it's that short, that little impulse, right? Like I was o- trying to open a can the other day, uh, not a, uh, a jar, and I was—I knew I was in an irritable mood. I was very irritable, and I got really irritated with the jar and myself. And I got irritated with myself because I was irritated with the jar, and I—I and I decide at that moment I was like, wow. Like, this all this energy, you know, I'm like, just whacking the jar against the counter, you know, to, to release the seal. That was your intention. What? Just to release that the was seal. Just, no, that was just my intention, right? I just wanted to open the jar, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, let's, let's probe this a little bit more. Like, so you can say, we can, we can check our, the box off. It's like, oh, yeah, I know what my intention is. It's to open the jar because I'm hungry and I want to eat my feet, eat my food, and you know, I'm taking care of my body. and We can go a long way with that, right? But if we go a little bit deeper into what's the impulse, what's the feeling, what's the shape of the mind that's acting, right? And for me, I could totally tell in that moment, like, I'm kind of getting off on, like, this, like, internal fit I'm having. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, some part of me is delighting in, like, acting out, right? Totally, I could I could see it, and then I could laugh because it was funny. <laughs> Oftentimes, you get caught in that, and it's like it actually uh, it perfumes the next moment. So the phone rings, you answer it, and you're like, "What is it?" <laughs> right? So, but if you're aware of it, if you're just aware of those impulses, just shining the light of awareness on what's going on underneath, and it doesn't need you don't need to you know necessarily go and you know spend 10 minutes journaling about it you know each time you have a, but you could right and and actually setting some time aside to do that might be very uh illuminative right 
But the, these impulses, and I like this idea of the shit, the, I think chetana, the word chetana has the connotation of like, what's the shape of your mind? Right? Where are you, where, what's coming forward? And that's the transformative aspect of our practice, is actually the shape of our mind is changed by, by practicing. Okay. Yeah, Margaret. When you say transformative, that, you know, <laughs> I know I'm getting into dangerous territory there. <laughs> Go for it. Then it's transformative mean you're transforming your, you know, your, your, your values, which is a real nice thing to think about. But transforming your small self to the larger self, you could the more, more pure self. Is that what transformative means? You, mean? yeah. I think I think of transformation as I mean it's tricky, right? Especially as this is Zen and you're perfect just the way you are, right? Except. <laughs> <laughs> you're not nodding, you're shaking your head. Except, right? And, 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 not but. <laughs> and we can all use a little improvement. I mean, that's why we do the balance. That's why we fertilize the plants in the garden. It's not like they're terrible plants and they need, like, you know, they need to be changed in some way. It's actually we want to nurture them to be the best that they are, that they can be. Right? So the transformation is. Not necessarily. I mean, you can also talk about it as like having better control over your life. Like that's a terrible thing to say in Buddhism sometimes, right? Control. I don't want more. Maybe I do want more control. That's the problem, right? But it's actually being being closer in connection and being in contact with discrete moments that you can start to see stuff that normally we don't even see, right? It just rushes by, and suddenly we're you know at the bar and we've had like 10 drinks or, you know, like, oh, how did I get here? Right? Because we don't even notice. Right? Now, if you say, for example, I'm going to quit drinking for 2018 or whatever you say, like I'm going to start exercising and it's an idea that you fix onto something, right? This is my idea. But you don't do the transformative, like just, just the paying attention to like what is actually happening. You know, what are the moments that happen before you find yourself reaching in the fridge? And actually, this, you know, I can't remember the name of the study. I love this study of um, looking at the impulses in the brain, right? The motor cortex, motor neurons start to fire. Your hand starts to move before people can report a conscious thought that I want, I'm, I'm going to do something, right? It's happening with consciousness, our, our awareness of things you know, to keep going back further and further into, like, right at the moment, right? Or even before the moment, to become more and more aware, right? Where, what is that impulse? Yeah. So that's, I think that's, in terms of transformation, when, we, when we're deeply aware of cause and effect, this is the karma part, right? When we're deeply aware of cause and effect, we're able to change course. We're nimble. Right? If we're fixed in our views, and it, being fixed in your views is very different from having a deep sense of vow, right? I think. I think people can use vow in a very fixed way, but it's like, how do you tell the difference? How do you tell the difference between when you're fixed or not fixed? When you're open, when something's coming from a place of open-heartedness and possibility and love and curiosity? 
How do you tell the difference between that and when something's coming from a, a rigid fixed place? Well, how do you react when things don't go the way you prefer? Yeah. Or something unexpected comes up. Right. Yeah. Or if you notice that you're talking through your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> right. You look to your body, like, am I holding something? You know, does this action feel like it's coming from a place of generosity or is it coming from a place of lack? Right. You can, you can feel that in the body. That's your, that's your cue. Yes, true. I wanted to, to connect the idea there between um, the transformative and the ability to sense the difference of something that's already there. The transformative, that I understand it, isn't that we're becoming something we aren't yet. Um, it's about getting out of the way of what's already there. So we're just mm -hmm. letting go of that middle layer and centering back on something that emerges. If we just open it up to it, it's mm -hmm. the, the the big self is already there. It's just letting go of the little self. Right, right. right. It's like the the now the uh, image is that of the sky. Right. The sky is vast and endless, and yet when there's clouds, it looks like it's you know it's really constrained. But the sky's there, whether or not there are clouds. Right. It makes me think of um, you know like the Chronicles of Narnia and the like Eustace, which is their cousin, who's like this little <laughs> and. Um, and he goes and gets the gold and turns into a dragon. And then he realizes that he has to, like in order to become himself, he has to uh, claw away his dragon skin to, uh, like to emerge. Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix, yeah. But anyway, it's the mm -hmm. becoming. What's already there, coming uh, up. Yeah, transforming but becoming. Right. Kathy. It kind of reminds me of um, what, you were, what you all are saying about transformation and what you said about the neurons and the paths that they have that are really kind of well-worn mm -hmm. they keep going and I, I noticed after I did the Rohatsu retreat um, I would be in a situation that was really familiar like driving and getting irritated with someone but and I would say things that I had said before the retreat but I would go I wasn't really feeling that you know it would be I would yell or something but it felt really false because but the the impulse was still uh -huh. there, yeah. but the whatever was had been behind it before seemed to be gone. So it was kind of confusing. <laughs> so I'd be like, Why "Who am I anyway?" Like, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, is there another hint? So back to your your uh, question though, Margaret, about about the transformation. Um, when we think about our lives and our, our being on autopilot, our habit energy, and, and this came up also in the, in the workshop, this idea of habits, or maybe it was the cafe, uh, this idea of habits, and, uh, you know, habits can be good, you can have good habits, right? So habits don't necessarily need to be unintentional or bad, right? You can have conscious good habits, right? And that's actually... A lot of what practicing is, it's like getting it in your body so you're not thinking about it as much. It comes out habitually, you could say. But, you know, some effort was put into, like, you know, your form when you're playing the piano, right? Or your form when you um, are in the middle of a ceremony, right? Because these are practices. And... The habits that we that are unknown and just churning without our awareness, right? 
call that samsara, right? This world, this samsaric world. And the karmic aspect is, I mean, there's good karma and there's bad karma, right? This idea of like karma that's created that leads to wholesome things and leads to unwholesome things, right? And in some sense, the Buddhist, we spoke of this too, the Buddhist, uh, one of the practices, one of the main practices is actually to let go of all karma, good and bad, right? No merit, right? What's the, what's the merit in this? How is this, how is this action going to be heading towards something that I'm going to reap the rewards of? But like, what if we let go of that too, right? Not just the bad karma, but the good karma. That sounds really scary, right? It's like, oh, then I'm kind of rudderless. And... But, but that, what that involves, as Max was saying, when you're coming from a, a small self place, there's constraint. But we trust in our Buddha nature, you could say, or our big self, right? We trust in Dharma, right? Then you're kind of transforming your karmic self to a Dharmic, big, big mind, big self where what's important is not necessarily what this small ego self wants. You can't ignore what this small ego self wants because that's violent too, right? You can't, it's like you don't come to it, maybe, maybe people do, but you, if you come to a Zen center thinking that you're gonna find nothing but peace and unicorns, you know, they're, they're not here. <laughs> I mean, the unicorns aren't here. The people... <laughs> they're back. They're back, <laughs> you've seen them. <laughs> Gosh, what's the name of that famous unicorn? The one that spurred on this movement of... Uh, do you remember? You don't remember? Oh. Anyway, we do have unicorns, but you can't see them. <laughs> you can feel them. <laughs> and they're sprinkling, you know, dust all over. <laughs> but in terms of... The, it's like the karmic self and the dharmic self are actually not... They're also not different. They are, but they're not. Right? They go along together, and transformation happens where it's, it's kind of like, uh, I'm thinking back to like Aristotle's like plate and bowl example of like a potter working the clay. And it's like, okay, you've got this plate. Right? You start off with this plate, this plate that's being spun. And, like, and then the potter maybe says, well, actually, I want a bowl. So, boop. When is it a plate? When is it a bowl? Right. So transformation, the transformation, the transformative aspect, I'm just, I, it's like to actually not have to say, oh, well, this is my intention. I, mean, I think sometimes people say, when I come in to sit, I sit with an intention. And, or I, I put in my, my effort. Like, if I don't put in my effort, what am I going to, you know, why would I even show up if I'm not putting in effort? But we also have this idea of effortless effort. So what's that? Does that mean throw all your effort out the window and just do whatever you feel like? Maybe. Maybe you try that for a while, and then you realize, wow, this actually isn't making me happy. <laughs> I read this article the other day on, on no work, on, the, on the, the idea of, like, being rid of work, right? And it talked about how, um, yeah, this, this idea that if you have time, if, if you are in this kind of treadmill, hamster wheel kind of doing, 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 
right? And then you have this space where like you have a free time, leisure time. It takes a while before it registers. <laughs> and that impulse, that energy is still, it needs to be burned up, right? And the way to burn it up, how do you burn up energy? <laughs> okay, how do you burn? Maybe that's a weird way of putting it. Burn up or yeah, yeah. How does it get transformed? It needs a, it needs a a space, right? A space or a uh, um, outlet. An outlet? No, a catalyst. It needs to settle. Yeah, this, if you have energy, like when there's energy, like let's say you have a, an interaction with somebody that was really charged, positive, negative, doesn't matter, right? It could be an, an interaction that made you feel really good and special and you got this, you know, you're glowing, right? Or, you know, more, more likely to be on our radar is you have an interaction and it makes you feel really crummy and you, feel, you can feel this like negativity. Like, how do you transform that? without getting rid of it. If you're coming, again, if the impulse is to get rid of it, that's a surefire way of having it like go underground and jump out later. Like, yes, Bruce. I think there's there maybe some room for confusion here between what we do and what happens because of what we do. Yeah. Like how much of this is our doing and how much of it is our doing something that then gets us in alignment with something broader than ourselves. Sort of like, um, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about what if intention is somewhat like when we're sitting zazen and you notice that your thoughts have wandered or, or your posture's slumped or whatever, yes. and you go, oh, you notice that, so there's the room for awareness. And your intention is simply to come back to this posture or approach or structure that you've been taught or developed in practice. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's more like... <clears throat> It's not necessarily intending a result, but it's intending an action to put you in a certain place. The, the other sort of more abstract analogy I was thinking of just now was that if you're, if you're piloting a boat, like, like just rowing a boat, mm -hmm. you know, you're not making the current, you're not making the water flow, yeah. but there is room for you to take action and to be more or less present, mm -hmm. more or less engaged with the flow and making sure, oh, there's rocks, oh, there's, yeah. uh, there's the shore that I don't want to bump up against or whatever. So, the, so I Dawn, Dawn was brought up that analogy in her Dharma talk two weeks ago. Oh, the one well, maybe about that's where I stole it. The uh, canoeing down the rapids and like, you know, this fork is going to take you to the rapids. And, this, and she was talking about it in terms of like, you actually have very little control because there's a lot of other forces, like the current and the rocks. But you do have control in the, these minor movements. But if my intention is I'm going to get from point A on the stream to point B on the stream, I'm not doing, I'm not, there are forces beyond what I, what, what pertain to me. Yeah. There's a role so for me to play. Yes. And I can certainly um, mess up the goal of getting from A to B. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, it's more a matter of working with, like with the plant. You know, the seed transforms into a plant, but who's doing that? And is right. that change? Is it changing into something else? Then maybe that's your plate and bowl. But we, as people who like plants, 
can do things to support the growth, but we're not making it grow. Right, right. Yeah. We have nothing to do with that other than we can interfere with it or we can support it. Right. And right. be aware of what's going on so that then we can. So that the transformation that's naturally uh, available is enacted. Right? This is like the practice of enlightenment that Dogen talks about. In terms of, are you, yes, this came up just recently, the, the um, little koan at the end of the Genjo, the Genjo koan of Master, uh, Master, Mount Master Baocha and Mount Mayu. Baocha, Baocha, <laughs> of uh, Mount Mayu is fanning himself, right? And then a monk comes up and says, Master, the nature of wind is permanent. It reaches everywhere. Why then are you fanning yourself? And the master says, "Well, although you understand the nature, uh, the although you understand permanence, that when nature reaches everywhere, you don't understand the nature of <laughs> nature reaching everywhere. Right? The meaning of its nature, the, the nature of wind reaches everywhere. And then the monk says, "Well, what is the meaning of the uh, of its the wind reaching everywhere. The nature of the wind is reaching everywhere. And the master just continues to fan himself. Right? It's like, this, this wind reaching everywhere, you can say the locus of, of you know, responsibility is in the wind, but you know, how wind works, right? it's included. So it, it seems to me that this, this the role that awareness plays in, in transformation and kind of what, what she was talking about in terms of it's not exactly something that's done or steered, it's more of this kind of uncovering of what's already there. And then thinking about the, the road to hell, you know, is paved with good intentions, right? It's like, is the role that awareness is playing simply kind of a deep felt um, understanding of, you know, well, uh, I mean, of, of the causal forces, right? It's like being being attenuated, mm -hmm. right, yes. to, to reality in some way, right? So that yeah. there's a sense of like, well, if I don't change where I'm going, then I'm pretty sure to get there, right? That kind of thing, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and that's kind of, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a post hoc, right? So it's after the fact, it's or or maybe as you know something occurs, right? But it seems like maybe that's actually the transformative aspect is to just see, right, in that moment. Right. This is this is the way that I'm relating. Yes. This is what my disposition is. Yes. Right? And, and to and if trust. That, if that continues, right, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean suppress. It doesn't mean you know abruptly or violently alter. Right. But sometimes it's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know. Wow. Okay. Right. Well, that, Which it's going to have some implications. Actually. Once you feel that, once you are are uh, aware enough to see things, and again, best to have awareness without the added judgment. Right? Because if you're going in with, it's not awareness, if it's, it's not pure awareness, it's not awareness, really, if you go in with your agenda and you're not aware of that, right? That just kind of sullies everything when you do that, right? Which, again, if you're paying attention, then you get to see how it sullies things, and then you, you know, these little course corrections that happen are not because we have, I mean, they might be, we might be able to fix something on top of our lives and say, I want this by this age, and then I'm going to do this and this, and this is how my life is going to play out. You can have that. Usually it's kind of disappointing because life isn't like that, but we do that all the time, right? And, it's, and some people are better and worse at it, 
right? Setting something as a goal and then going and getting it, and, right? But if being aware every moment along the way, tall order, but if, if you're cultivating just even the intention to cultivate more awareness, and then trust that that awareness, once cultivated, will show you the next step. It requires a lot of faith, in some sense, or trust, right? That we don't need to have it all figured out. That actually we can move forward this much, and then be like, okay, awareness, tell me what I see. You know? And you recalibrate, right? Again, very dynamic. Very dynamic, and, and this is what we do in Zazen, too. Right? When we sit in Zazen, we're constantly refreshing our awareness to what's happening at this precise moment. You know, we feel impulses, we, you know, we want to scratch our cheek because something's you know, itchy there or whatever, and we, just, we don't act on them. We just notice, notice, see things passing, right? so that we can see the, the, that impulse to cling, to push away, right? And if we hold all of that in gentle, kind awareness, right? And if we can't do that and we end up judging somebody else or ourselves, then we notice the effects of that. And that informs our next moment. So over and over, rinse and repeat. So anyway, these are, these are um, I think this is a fascinating, fascinating topic. So um, I'm sure we'll hear more about this, not necessarily, uh, well, I'm not sure what Koji's going to do, but I think that intention plays a large part in Buddhist thought. And so maybe I'll put in a plug for hearing a little bit more about it next weekend. Thank you all very much for uh, coming here on this humid and nicely warmer Saturday. Thank you. <laughs>